0: Amen. Amen. Turn you about what's the Romans chapter 8. The title of the sermon today is we are more than conquerors. I said we're more than conquerors. You know, we're in a different venue again. But we've got the same convictions. You know, wherever the pillar of cloud goes, the pillar of fire, we go.
1: Wherever the tabernacle goes, we go. Wherever the wind blows, we go.
0: As Galatians chapter 5 says, we got to keep in step with the spirits. There's a reason why God brought us here today. To see how much space there is. How much more people need to be saved. You know, I love you guys, but we need some new faces. Because we live in a time... Of constant change.
2: Yeah.
0: You know the energy prices are changing. Right. Come on love. That people are even losing their jobs. You know, some people's diet may change the closer we get to the Christmas period. because nothing beat mum's cooking. Every time you go to your mom's house, she always bakes. she always makes those nice foods. you know It reminds me of, of, of last Christmas when a few of the disciples went to Mama George's house. You know guys, Mama, Mama Georgia can cook. And I, I'll be honest, she she feeds you. She gives you mountains upon mountains of food. And I'll be honest, man, like I I, I don't even think in the vocabulary, there's not even seconds or thirds. You go for fourths, fifths, and six. Honestly, that cooking cranks. Nothing beats. Nothing beats Mama Georgia's cooking. You know, some people's finances change. Most people go around, you know, broke around this time because, uh, you know, students, of course, we're paying for Christmas uh, presents and so on and so forth. Some people's schedules will change. You know, some people get up later than usual because, of course, sunlight comes up a bit later. And people's convictions will change, right? No. Okay, I believe this side, but not this side. So apparently this side's convictions will change. So your convictions won't change, amen? Okay, I believe believe you guys now. And you know what's ironic? Some people start changing and start becoming religious at this time of the year. I want to go to church now. I'm holy art thou. You know, circumstances change. But your convictions as disciples of Christ should stay the same. Sometimes it's something that we can forget. Ironically, today is Remembrance Sunday to remember and honor the lives of those who lost their lives in the war to keep us alive even here yeah. today died protecting our country and we're grateful yet yeah, every Sunday we remember who died for us all that is Jesus Christ I hope you haven't forgotten what Jesus has saved you from Save me from porn addiction Save me from a miscarriage Save me from an unplanned pregnancy. Save me from, in, like, impure relationships. Save me from just, just messing my life up. I know for a fact, if I didn't become a disciple, I still, I wouldn't even be here today. I could have been in jail. And to remember is super important. Remembering to check messages. You know, that's something I need to do. <laughs> Except so there's a lot of calling out soon. <laughs> you know, there's, there's remembering to revise for the campus students, amen. You know, remembering to do your chores for the teams. Let's go, Michael Bukasa. And remembering the meetings of the body, amen, disciples. You know, I remember this one phone time. You're a lot times because of course I, I, of course I'm now engaged to the love of my life right there. So, you know, originally I wanted to ask uh, Novella on the uh, on December 2020, uh, on the 13th of December, and I wanted to ask her on her birthday. And, and you know how it is when you don't know people's birthdays, you go to Facebook. Yeah. <laughs> and you tried to search the, the, the birthday. And so I wanted to ask Novella on the 13th of December, but then God wanted to save me the embarrassment. He both made us sick at that time. And so I remember this one time I was, I was debating whether I still remembered her birthday. I was like, "What is it December 13th or 7th? And I remember she told me, when I said 7th, which is her actual birthday, she was like, no, it's not. And I got scared, I was like, no. I was like, you're the one I want to spend the rest of my life with, but I can't remember your birthday. Oh, you know, it's it's, it's it's never good to forget, man. Because it's said that one in ten have also been in trouble with their friends for forgetting either their name, or of their offspring, or their birthday. You know, six percent have been dumped for forgetting their partner's birthday. So I was scared I was going to be part of that six percent. But I'm so grateful for Afara reminding us of the birthdays every single month and week. I think it's a lot of diligence. You know, people remember things they should forget. And forget things they should remember. Like the past. We should forget the past. There's nothing you can do about it. Why? Because what does the Bible say in Philippians 3 verse 13? It says, to forget what is behind and strain to what's ahead. If you hold on to grudges, to unforgiveness, to bitterness, and use it as an excuse of disobedience and say, that's just who I am. You're not a disciple. Why? Because what you're doing is literally unbiblical. The Bible says forget what is behind, don't think about what's behind, don't keep in your heart what's behind, it says forget it, forget it, forget it, because what you're doing is literally unbiblical, the scriptures say to forget it, you know I messed up my exam yesterday in ICCM, I did, it was very humbling, because I revised the hardest for this exam, And I didn't read the question properly. So I lost over 18 marks. But I need to forget about it. No matter how hard I think about it, I can't change the situation. It's done. I believe we live in a time where people have forgotten who they are. Who they were made to be. People get their identity from education. From their career. From the amount of money in their bank. From how they feel. People have forgotten about God in this country. Yet we sing, God save the king. God is always lost. Yet according to Jeremiah 1 verse 5, God knows us even before we were even a thought. Or even before we even conceived. I want to persuade you today to let you know who you are. To let God tell you who you are. To let God define you of who you are. To define who the man you're called to be according to God. Who the woman you're called according to the Bible. You cannot define a man without God. You cannot define a woman without God. If you try to define a man or a woman outside the Bible, it's unbiblical. It's satanic.
1: I want to persuade you today that you are more than a conqueror.
0: Jeffrey, you're more than a conqueror. Christina, you're more than a conqueror. Gabriel, you're more than a conqueror. Daniel, you're way more than a conqueror. Marcus, you're a conqueror. Mama Georgia, you're a you're you're way more than a conqueror. There's is one quote. Life chips away at us all. Some play the victim. Some choose to be a survivor. And there are those who choose to conquer. I want to persuade you today that if you're in this room, you are more than a conqueror. I hope you guys are with me in Romans chapter 8. It says in verse 31. What then shall we say in response to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? In the message version, it reads this. So, what do you think? (laughs) With God on
2: our side.
0: Like this, how can we lose? With God, he's convicted right that. With God, we can't lose. Losing isn't an option. Winning is the only option. And then it goes on to say this in verse 37. Knowing all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. And the church says... God has already seen us conquering Wolverhampton. God has already seen us conquer Warwick. God has already seen us conquer the West Midlands. Solihull, Nottingham, all throughout the West Midlands. Because of God, we are more than conquerors.
2: As disciples in God's kingdom,
0: we are more than conquerors. As men and women of God, we are more than conquerors. And in order for us to be more than conquerors, we must first carry our own load. And that's point number one. Carry your load. Let's turn to Galatians 6. Galatians chapter 6. You know, it's said that soldiers and marines in Iraq and Afghanistan routinely carry between 60 and 100 pounds of gear, including body armor, weapons, and batteries on a daily basis. Now, of course, the British, 100 pounds is 45 kilograms. And this is not even counting the weather conditions. But what's the principle? Each and every one of these soldiers carry
1: Their own load. The Bible says in Galatians 6 verse 5. For each one. Should carry. Their own
2: load.
0: You are responsible. For your own load. You are responsible. For your relationship with God. It's not your disciple. Right. You, you can't get a D time when you're at the gates trying to, trying to, trying to reconcile. Yes. Oh. You can't confess any in, last minute sin that you didn't
1: confess. Uh-oh. You can't call upon You can't even call your best friends in the kingdom. You carry your own load. Mm. And the scripture doesn't say, drag your load. Mm-hmm. It says, yes.
0: carry. Yes. So what does it take to carry your own load? It takes effort. It takes effort to be in a relationship with God. It takes effort to stay faithful. It takes effort to deny yourself. It takes effort, yes, to be rejected. It takes effort to wait. It takes effort to even have multiple disappointments. To even, sometimes, I'll be honest, envy the world. It's sometimes like, man, I want want what the
1: world wants. They seem like they're fine. It's hard. It takes effort. It takes effort to be patient, to be loving, and to even make disciples. It takes effort. You know, we live in
0: a lazy generation. You know, I believe that this generation has become not only just physically lazy, but emotionally lazy. Emotionally unavailable. In other words, what the Bible calls, impatient. You know, one of my favorite books to have read in my entire life was The Five Love Languages by Gary Chapman. That book revolutionized my life. It helped me see purpose through my pain. One of the stories highlights about a young girl who, dare we say, she sought a divorce when she was young. And then her mom got remarried. And she thought that the remarriage would spark a new relationship with her and her mom and her,
1: and her stepdad. But she still got neglected. And then when, she, when, when her parents got a call from her school saying, your daughter has slept with someone in the school. What the young girl said was, I was just looking for love. In each and
0: every person, there's a love tank. if the love tank
1: isn't filled they'll go to other things to fill that relationships, drugs sex, money power clubbing and that's why what we're doing is serious
0: we teach people true love where they say I've never seen anything like this I remember the first time I came out to Campus Devo I said this place is weird these people are fake I'm like, there's no way that that guy who looks like Russell Westbrook, imagine. He's so fired up. And then I see Paul Bessari in the corner. <laughs> Back when he had a goatee. And I was like, these guys are so fired up. I was like, I want to be friends with them. They're people I want to surround myself with. I was like, what's so different about this group than any other group?
2: Love. Love, mm-hmm. the
1: love. You know, how does this link to being emotionally lazy? I used to work in Hamleys, and seeing some parents no longer give their time to their kids, mm-hmm.
0: it hurts. Like every time Anthony's like, "Hey, carry me," I'm like, "I'm not gonna reject him," because it's probably love language physical touch. So I'm like, "Hey, I'm gonna, I'm gonna love him. I'm gonna make him feel loved." Because what I see a lot of times today is that if a child is anno- annoying you, you just get your phone, emotionally unavailable, and just give your phone to them. Right. And that's it. And then we get confused as to why they don't want to spend time with you when they grow up.
2: older.
0: And they become emotionally unavailable to you. And then they're the ones who argue against the teachers in the school. Because you just didn't decide just to put the phone to the side and actually just spend time with your child. We become very emotionally lazy. And it's not just that situation. It's in our relationship with God. We become emotionally lazy, emotionally unavailable. We become impatient. It's not someone else's responsibility to carry your load in your relationship with God. It's not your disciple's responsibility to keep you faithful, to keep us spiritual, We've got to take our own personal responsibility. We've got to carry our own load. We've got to be the ones emotionally available for people. People pay to go to psychologists when disciples, disciples give this for free. Because we're willing to give our hearts, give our emotion, give our time, give our effort, give
1: our love, give our patience, give, give our time. Question is, are you carrying your own load? Or are you expecting your disciple to carry it for you? Like, imagine discipling nine people.
0: And remember, each load carry, it weighs 45 kilograms. And if I'm carrying my 45 kilograms, imagine the weight of 10 times 45
1: kilograms. Trying to carry that. That's 450 kilograms. <laughs> You're literally going to crush a disciple to death. Yeah. The Amplified Version says this. For every
0: person will have to bear with patience his own burden. You have to to be patient with your own burdens of faults and shortcomings for which he alone is responsible. You take responsibility for your faults and your shortcomings. A lot of the
1: time we say as disciples,
0: whoops, I fell into sin. Whoops, I just tripped up. I fell into sin. No, you gave it to sin. Because when you say you fell, you take away the responsibility from you. When you say, I gave into sin, you take responsibility that it was your fault. You gave it to sin. You know, what may stop people being more than conquerors is that they don't want to take responsibility. Not taking responsibility end up
1: you being replaced. Turn
0: your Bibles to Genesis chapter 6. Hope you guys still with me. Genesis chapter 6. You know, one man who took personal responsibility for his relationship with God and dare we say the rest of humanity was that of no one. He lived in a time where the world was full of evil. No different to today. Yet in the midst of all this, The Bible says in Genesis chapter 6 verse 9. This is the account of Noah and his family. Noah was a righteous man. Blameless among the people of his time. And he walked faithfully with God. What the scripture says here is he walked faithfully with God. Proving that in the midst of evil. Every reason to be bitter. Discouraged. He still remained faithful to the end he was more than a conqueror the scripture says he he took personal responsibility thus what happened in the rest of the chapter he was given the instructions to build the ark though what's hilarious is that it doesn't state that Noah took down the instructions so this guy probably had a beast memory of I don't know how in the world did he make an ark and then the scripture goes on to say in Genesis 7 verse 1 then the Lord said to Noah Go into the ark, you and your
1: whole family, because I have found you righteous in this generation. So God,
0: what was God saying here? God's like, hey, I'm going to invite you into the ark because I personally have found you righteous in this generation. Imagine, the, imagine being the only one righteous in your generation. The only one who had the truth. Would you still preach?
1: Would you still call people out of their sin? Would you still be a disciple? You may be the only one righteous in your workplace. You may be the only one righteous on your campus.
0: You may be the only one in the very moment righteous on the streets of Birmingham. The scripture then goes, it states specifically, the scripture says, I, God, I have found you. Noah. So God is the one who finds someone righteous. He defines righteousness. By the way you're living, would God be looking for you? He's like, hey, I find you righteous in this generation. Would he call you righteous? We live in a time where people are like, I'm a good person. I'm a good moral person. Says who? (laughs) Because you as a law, you've lied before right? And if you say no, you're lying. So you as a law are flawed. So I can't take your word for morality. Because the law can't be flawed. So the, technically there's no such thing as an atheist. Because they love their sin. They just use it Hey, There's no God to define it to say hey hey, I, I can do all the sin I want.
1: You can call yourself righteous, but would God be looking for you? Other translations say, I have seen as righteous.
0: Question. Does God see you as righteous or
1: rebellious? Righteous or rebellious? To be righteous in this time was to be a preacher.
0: According to 2 Peter chapter 2 verse 5. So if you're not preaching,
1: you're not righteous. Come on. God's not looking for you. Wow. And guess how long Noah preached for? 120 years. <gasps> yeah, how many people did he save? Seven other people or eight. Imagine like imagine,
0: in 120 years you only save eight people. Wow. Wow. How much faith would you have just to see eight people repent? And that was just his family. He's probably like, no one's open. Why is no one open? There's no guest to Bible talk. No guest
1: to church. But he stayed faithful all the way to the end. Are you just a bandwagon disciple? You're here for the hype, not for the hard work.
0: Because what did God do? God invited Noah into the ark. With what requirement? He had to be righteous. And what does the ark represent in the Bible? The kingdom. So if you're not righteous, you don't belong in the kingdom. God's not going to invite you in. Dare we say God's ark is invite only. You know, it reminds me of the banquet at the EMC. You know, I, I love Kuda, I, lo- I love Michael, I love Jeffrey, I love Tundra, I love all those guys, Alex serving. But they were strict even on the Birmingham guys. They're like, hey, where's your pass? <laughs> I, know, I know you're Birmingham, I know you're my preacher, but, but where's your pass? <laughs> the ark is invite only. Question is, are you righteous or rebellious? Genesis chapter 7 verse 2, continue on reading. What does God then tell Noah? He says, take with you seven pairs of every kind of clean animal, a male and its mate, and one pair of every kind of unclean animal, a male and its mate. And also seven pairs of every kind of bird, male and female, to keep their various kinds alive throughout the earth. You know, Noah had a cranking Bible talk. Let's <laughs> go. Yes. Verse 4. Seven days from now. I will send rain on the earth for forty days and forty nights, and I will wipe from the face of the earth every living creature I have made. Verse five. And Noah complained because he was six hundred years old. No. What is this highlight? What is this highlight? Because he was six hundred years old. Amen. What is this highlight? Noah. You, 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 it means you're never too old to do the work of the Lord, to build the ark, yeah. to build God's kingdom, yeah. and to preach the words. Come on, mamas. Verse five, it says, and Noah had to go pray about it because what God was asking was too overwhelming. It was too much. I had to go think about it. Noah had to take a break because the cost of being a disciple is too hard. That I can't give up everything. Yet God gave me everything. And Noah had a debate with God and asked, why me? Why do I have to do it? Why not you? If not you, then who? Right. God doesn't
1: make mistakes. He says, And Noah did all that the Lord commanded
2: him. He didn't debate. He just obeyed
1: with the call of God do you debate
0: with your relationship with God with your salvation do you think you can negotiate with God on terms of how you live your relationship with God saying I can be a Christian but then not go to church and miss meetings of the body and not be in Bible studies not share my faith and not have my quiet time
2: <laughs>
0: <laughs> he didn't debate he just obeyed
1: yeah.
0: and it said the same thing in verse 9 and verse 16 What do we understand from a righteous man in the Bible? It was in his character to obey God. Is it in your character to obey God? Because I know for a fact, we all have disciples, man. I'm like, I disagree 100% whatever you're saying. But I'll do it. Because what's God's love language according to John 14? If you obey me, if you love me, obey my commands. You know, trying to take the scripture literally, I was like trying to picture like, okay, Noah was told to get all these animals. Now, imagine trying to get every pair of animal in seven days. Wow! Like, imagine Noah trying to catch a bird. Imagine Noah. I don't know why my imagination thought this, but imagine Noah trying to catch a bee. (laughs) Imagine Noah trying to catch a lion. (laughs) Imagine Noah trying to catch a rhinoceros, a crocodile, a bear. You know, some scholars suggest that the number of animals that were required to be in the ark could have been around from around 1,500 to about 7,000. So, Noah was challenged to, to get these animals in seven days. Seven thousand. Oh my goodness, that's a thousand a day. But let's look at the Bible. Let's see what the Bible says. In verse 8. In verse 8 it says, Pairs of clean and unclean animals, of birds and of all creatures that move along the ground, male and female, came to Noah oh, and entered the ark oh. as God's. Had commanded Noah. And after seven days. The floodwaters waters came on earth. And the church says. What do we understand from this scripture. Is that everything. And I mean everything. Including your family. Your education. Your job. Everything. Along with Noah. Was doing just as the Lord commanded. God took care of the things out of Noah's load, out of Noah's control. Wow. Come on. Noah was doing his part by building the ark. Even right now, we're not focused on what pigeons do on a day-to-day basis. On, <laughs> That's on God. And you know what's funny, the other day, I was like, I'm focused, like after coming from the MC, I'm like, I'm focused, I'm gonna go back to Birmingham. And of course, knowing this scripture, that God controls all animals, I found a nice, pleasant white stain on my trousers, my backpack, and my luggage. And I was like, okay, I'm, I'm, I'm in control of building God's ark, but then knowing God was in control of that pigeon, that splattered something on me. I was like, God, what are you trying to teach me? But what did we learn about Noah over here? He focused on carrying his own and left the rest to God. How much more so we? Noah wasn't focused on what he couldn't control, but focused on which he could, his relationship with God. But not only was he focused on his relationship with God, he was focused on building the ark. He was focusing on carrying his load. Bearing in mind, he'd never seen an ark before. So literally what he had to do, he had to go with it. Today, you may see yourself never believing in God. You may see yourself never overcoming bitterness. You may see yourself never believe, like you never believe in yourself becoming a disciple. You never see yourself forgiving. Never see yourself healing from the past. You may never see yourself being more than a conqueror. But the challenge is simple. Carry your load by taking your responsibility for your relationship with God. I can't imagine, it wasn't an easy task for Noah to build the ark. Especially for there being no blueprint. It was just told the instructions. It didn't say state, he wrote them down. I can imagine Noah sometimes wanting to give up on building this ark.
1: He couldn't go on board. Man, I have to build this it's so long. He could have lost vision. For 120 years. But yet he kept
0: on building. He took responsibility to carry his load by taking responsibility for his relationship with God. Because once you take responsibility for your relationship with God and stop depending on other people, then and only then that you're able to then demolish strongholds. Point number two, demolish strongholds. Turn your Bibles to 2 Corinthians chapter 10. 2nd Corinthians chapter 10 You know as conquerors we are here to demolish strongholds You ask what is a stronghold? A place that has been fortified So as to protect it against attack You know we live in Europe We live in a part of the world Where it's fortifying The minds of kids In primary school, to think it's okay to choose your gender.
1: We live in a part of the world where it's fortifying the minds of young teens to think that abortion is okay. We live in a part of the world where it's fortifying that it's okay to watch porn since it relieves stress.
0: We live in a part of the world that says that it's possible to live a good moral life without the Bible. We live in a part of the world where they say there's there's such thing as an atheist. That's okay to be a God. That you can be religious and not be part of his church. But the Bible says in Colossians chapter 1, you cannot have a relationship with with, with the head without the body. If you say you have a relationship with Jesus but don't want to go to church, only when you feel like, oh yeah, I have free time, then you're not part of his body. You're not in a relationship with God with him. Yeah. you know I tell you the truth we're in a war yeah. we're in a war for
1: souls yeah. we're in a war to save the Europeans we're in a war to save people from all of this sin verse 4 Come on. Come on. Second Corinthians chapter 10 verse 4
2: yeah,
1: the
0: weapons we fight with are not weapons of the world on the contrary they have divine power to demolish what does the scripture say is that once you take personal responsibility for your relationship with God you put on the spiritual armor as Ephesians 6 says you can then take up your sword the weapons that can demolish strongholds the scripture says the weapons we fight with meaning as disciples this is talking to the church in Corinth which means as disciples by default you fight yeah the scripture says we fight with you're already fighting as soon as you become a disciple disciples are not you're not cruising, it's a fight all the time fight with your alarm clock (laughs) fight it to get up early fight it to go to that job you don't like (laughs) fight it to share your faith fight it to have your quiet time fight it to memorize the first principles (laughs) come on (laughs) you know as disciples by default we fight as soon as you become a disciple you've then entered a war Dare we say you've been enlisted? You say, I have decided to follow Jesus. No turning back. No turning back. In a war, there's no option to turn back. If you're a coward, you're actually the first one to be killed. Look up! You're dead. Revelation 21 verse 8 says, Cowards go to hell. (laughs) And this is talking to disciples. So you can be a disciple and a coward, which means if you're a disciple and a coward, you're going to hell. Question is, are you fighting with the weapons given to you? Are you fighting for your relationship with God? Are you fighting to get to heaven? Because the only reason why you don't want to fight is because sin has a stronghold on you. Are you fighting for your purity? Are you fighting to get open immediately? Or do you wait for a detour? time? Do you want to just disobey by not giving to God? You're like, hey, okay, I'm not going to get open about my struggling with my relationship with God, so I'm just going to slowly stop giving to the church. I'm just going to slowly stop giving to God. It's
1: God's money. It's not even ours. Are you distracted? Turn your Bibles to James chapter 1. Demolish strongholds. James chapter 1 verse 13 says this, when tempted, which means you'll get tempted.
0: It's just a matter of when. So don't act like, oh, I can't believe I was tempted. It's going to happen.
2: Go on, It
0: says, no one, which means the scripture applies to everyone, should say, which means people don't always say. (laughs) They should, but are they? It says, no one should say that God is tempting me. For God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt anyone. So who's behind all temptations? Satan. Verse 14, it says, but each person, is tempted when they are dragged away by their own evil desire and enticed. The scripture says you're dragged away, but you you can only be dragged away if you don't fight. If you actually try to fight, you won't be dragged easily away. It says by their own evil desire, their own, which means you give up on yourself then it says the scripture says then after desire is conceived it gives birth to sin and sin when it's fully grown gives birth to death and the church says Amen. "What does the scripture basically highlight is that when you give up on yourself when you don't use the weapons to fight and demolish strongholds you give up on yourself you die yeah. imagine being known by that when you die you're like oh this guy just killed himself allowed himself to be killed like imagine like, I can't imagine how did Joseph die oh he just allowed himself by his sin he
1: just killed himself Going to scripture, I'll just be known as another Judas on the battlefield.
0: You know what's hilarious—or well not really hilarious, but
1: a lesson—is Judas was remembered, but what was he remembered for? And so, what reputation do you want to have when you die?
0: I know for me, I want to write a book. Come on, Joe. I'm not going to state what the book's going to be on, yet. Yeah? That's between me and God. But it's clear, well, I know what I want to write about. But I hope you have dreams and visions after the conference, the dream. Let's, go. Let's keep dreaming after the EMC. Let's go back to 2 Corinthians chapter 10. Chapter 10. You know, going back to, uh, of course, cowards going to hell. What causes someone to turn back? Comfort and fear. But let me tell you the truth. Remember, we're in a war. War does not care if you're uncomfortable or fearful. Wars are bloody, wars are ruthless. Wars don't ask, hey, what's your gender? Wars don't care about your race. Wars don't care whether you're rich or poor, or if you're in debt. Wars are messy. Wars don't care if you support Arsenal or Chelsea or Liverpool. Wars don't care if you're like Primark or Zara. For the sisters, amen. I Wars don't care how you feel. Wars don't care about your bitterness. Wars don't care about your past.
1: Wars don't care if you've been hurt. Wars strip you down to the point where you have nothing. In a war, you've got to gird up your loins. What's the meaning of gird up your loins? It's, it's, it's a term. Some of you guys are, of
0: course, looking at me weird. Like, what, what does gird up your loins mean? <laughs> it means to prepare oneself for action. And this comes from the scripture, Proverbs 31 verse 17. And originally refers to tucking in the traditional long robe into a belt. To not restrict your physical activity. Question is, if you haven't got your robe tucked in,
1: you've got it left to hanging out. Therefore, it's weighing you down. You haven't girded up your loins spiritually. The scripture says in verse 4, in 2 Corinthians chapter 10, the weapons we fight with are not weapons of this world.
0: A weapon's sole purpose is to fight. The question is, are you using your weapon? Meaning of weapon means a means of gaining an advantage or defending oneself in a conflict or contest. Which means when you don't fight, you lose the advantage. Do you only fight when others are around? How are you in your private battles? How are you in prayer? Because how you are privately is exposed publicly. So if you're struggling with discipleship, it's because you're not praying. I can, You can already tell. you If you're struggling with something as a disciple or struggling with discipleship, we know you haven't prayed at all. The scripture then goes and say, are not weapons of this world. Literally, the weapon that we have, the Bible, is literally out of this world. On the contrary, they have divine power to demolish strongholds. The scripture says, they. Which means we have multiple weapons. There's more than one. It says they have the divine power to demolish strongholds. They, what is that? you ask? We have the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit makes us a weapon. Each disciple here is a weapon. Are you one with the spirit? That which makes you a weapon. Because how does it make you a weapon? Let me explain. God is the word, a double-edged sword. He is the Bible, and God is also the Holy Spirit. That which lives inside of you. So the Holy Spirit makes you on.
1: The Holy Spirit makes you dangerous. What we're doing is dangerous. We could die. What we're doing is demolishing strongholds. What's the meaning of stronghold in the Greek? It means anything one relies on. It also means to defend against the opponent. As disciples, we're not the only ones with nuggets.
0: Non-disciples have nuggets. Because literally, the meaning of stronghold means defend against his opponent, which means other people's strongholds are their nuggets. We're fighting against other people's defense. question is, how well do you know how to fight against their defense? Because you can try and fight, but it doesn't mean you hit anything. You can be like, how well do you know how to demolish strongholds? How well do you know how to refute denominations? How well do you know how to refute false teachings? False religions, false beliefs. Remember, you're a weapon. So the thing is, you can fight. You can learn this. How far are you willing to learn how to fight? What converted people in the Bible? Acts chapter 14. Go on, bro. Acts 14 verse 1 at Iconium, Paul and Barnabas went as usual into the Jewish synagogue there they spoke so effectively that a great number of Jews and Greeks believed so what converted people? their effectiveness is how they spoke the way they wielded their sword the way they taught and that's what converted people Acts 17
1: they knew how to demolish strongholds they were using their weapons Acts 17 verse 10 as soon as it was night, the
0: believers sent Paul and Silas away to Berea. On arriving there, they went to the Jewish synagogue. Now the Berean Jews were a more noble characters than those in Thessalonica. For they received the message with great eagerness and examined the scriptures every day. I hope you guys are doing that. To see what Paul said was true. As a result, many of them believed, as also did a number of prominent Greek women and many Greek men. And the church says, they were so effective that people literally double-checked what they were saying. Dare we say, because of their effectiveness with the way they know how to demolish strongholds, they wielded their swords so effectively that dare we say they got people on the spot doing Bible studies. Because they were like, whoa, let me double check this. Let me meet you tomorrow. So they did a Bible study literally on the spot and then they met tomorrow daily because of the effectiveness of the way they spoke. How effective are you in sharing your faith? Do you give up on their first stronghold? I'm not open. Oh, Jesus not open. Let me just, whoa well, me.
1: Remember, stronghold is what they rely on. So they're used to defending themselves. They have their defenses up. Do you just throw a pebble?
0: Or do you throw a boulder? We know what a boulder is in the Bible. The kingdom, of the mountain. Do you throw the kingdom of God at them? Message version says, The tools of our trade aren't for marketing or manipulation, but they are for demolishing that entire massively corrupt culture wow. so what do we smash according to the bible we, sub- we smash corrupt cultures yeah. now it says corrupt cultures which means culture is not a bad thing it's when it becomes corrupt God made all cultures in Genesis chapter 11 we made them corrupt racism liberalism communism, socialism buddhism, islam, pluralism Marxism, polytheism, pantheism, and all the other isms. Yeah. Weapons are used to demolish strongholds, entire structures, destroy kingdoms that try to stand against the kingdom of God. Yeah. They're used to demolish corrupt culture, insecurities, introvert and extrovert, smashing that as well because that was invented by a-, a Chinese atheist in the 1900s. So when you say, hey, I'm an a- I- I- I'm extrovert or introvert, you're actually abiding by an atheist teach. teaching. Even as a disciple, if you say, I'm extrovert, I'm, I'm you know, you're a disciple. Yes. We're here to smash strongholds on sin yep. and help people hold on to the truth, the word of God. Because by holding on, the truth will set you free from Satan's stronghold. The challenge is simple. Learn how to refute the false teachings of the world effectively wield our weapons and let's demolish the strongholds amen Amen. point number three bring it in for a close how bad do you want it in 2017 a survey was conducted and the question was if you could say in one word what would you want more of in life what would that be of all the things that people indicated they wanted more of the following were the most frequently mentioned freedom which is mentioned in john chapter 8 verse 31 to 32 Peace and purpose, which is mentioned in Philippians chapter 4, verse forty-seven, Matthew 28, verse 18 to 20. Joy, Galatians 5, verse 22 to 25. Fulfillment and passion. And the number one thing that people will desire the most, how they want it, what they wanted so badly, happiness. And what's the first scripture we share this evening? God's study, seek God for your heart and you'll be happy. Yes! Come on, bro. No. People want purpose. Yes. People want freedom. Yes. People want peace. Yes. Purpose joy, fulfillment, people want passion, people want happiness, people want, do you want to describe it, describe are the kingdom of God, Yeah. because we've got purpose, we've got freedom, we've got joy, we've got peace, we've got fulfillment, we've got passion, we've got happiness, if you say you're not happy, you never really had the kingdom of God in the first place. <laughs> The scripture says, "I'm blessed despite despite the circumstance." We've got what others want. How bad do you want them to have it? How bad do you want to give other people purpose to see people saved? We can't get used to no baptisms.
1: Not for the sake of baptisms, but the joy of seeing somebody. We sing, I couldn't keep it to myself, no I, but why do you keep it to yourself? How about it? How bad do you want to change? For the disciples, how bad do you want to change someone's life? How bad do you want people to have purpose? How bad do you want to see Europe
0: evangelized? How bad do you want to see Europeans saved? Or sharing your faith too much for you? I can't even imagine if the sister who reached out to me was too tired to reach out to me. Or even if Frank said I'm too tired for a Bible study. How bad do you want to have a quiet time? Or is a quiet time, literally a quiet time, where you don't pray or read your Bible? Of course we have those mornings where you just don't. But when was the last time you let us study? How well do you know your Bible? How do you know your Bible? You apply it. Now, the reason why I'm sharing this is because we need to multiply, family. It can't just be 20% doing 80%. It needs to be 80% doing 20%. Because everybody's doing the work. It's so much easier to multiply. We're never going to evangelize Birmingham because my dream is to get regions. I would love four regions of 30. That would crank. Do you see it? Do you see scores of people coming from Coventry, a whole region? Scores of people coming from Wolverhampton, Nottingham and Solihull. And coming for congregational. There's no wonder why God literally gave us a mini portchester Hall to give us vision of a congregational. Hebrews chapter five. Just a few more. I hope you guys don't be thinking I mean I hope you guys are enjoying the word of God right here. I know you guys are hungry right there. Please don't slow me. It's the word of God. Hebrews chapter 5, verse 11. We have much to say about this, but it's hard to make it clear to you because you no longer try to understand. In fact, though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you the elementary truths of God's word all over again. You need milk, not solid food. Anyone who is a milk being still an infant is not acquainted with the teaching about righteousness. But solid food is for the mature, who by constant use, let me say that again, constant use, let me say that again, constant use, have trained themselves to distinguish good from evil. It says they acquainted themselves Meaning, to make someone, like to be familiar with. If you're still on milk, it says you're not acquainted with the teaching about righteousness. Which means when it comes to doing the right thing, not doing the right thing is normal to you. Acquaintances are less than friends. Righteousness is literally foreign to you. The Bible says that you won't even be able to distinguish good from evil anymore. If you don't constantly use your Bible. They all look the same. That's why the world justifies sin. How bad you want to deny yourself? How bad you want to carry a cross? To die to yourself? You're not you anymore. You're a window of faith so that other people don't see you. They see Jesus. Yes. It's, time not to, it's, not, it's time not to be thinking about it, but about being about it. We've got to get out of this mindset of, of an if-then mentality. If I had a baptism, then I would. If I had this person in my Bible talk, If only I had this certain character trait. If only I, if I didn't have this past. I wouldn't be like this. If only I had more time, then I would share my faith. How bad do you want to get to heaven? How bad do you want it?
1: Last scripture, John 5. Come on, bro. Come on, bro. And this is point number three. If I didn't say it, how bad do you want it? John chapter 3. Oh, John chapter 5, rather. Sorry. It says
0: in verse 1, Sometime later, Jesus went up to Jerusalem for one of the Jewish festivals. Now there was in Jerusalem near the Sheep gate of, of a pool, when, when, which in Aramaic is called Bethesda, and which is surrounded by five cover colonnades. Here a great number of people used to lie, the blind, the lame, the paralyzed some manuscripts include here holy or in parts paralyzed and they waited for the moving of the waters from time to time an angel of the Lord would come down and stir up the waters the first one in the pool after each such disturbance would be cured of whatever disease they had one who was, who was there who had been invalid for 38 years Bethesda in the Greek means house of mercy these guys were literally sitting in God's mercy but yet, this man didn't change for 38 years. He took for granted God's mercy for 38 years. How long are you going to wait to, 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 to not take for granted the mercy of God? How long are you going to start, like, put off Bible studies? How long are you going to put off getting right with God? How long are you going to put off just facing the fact that you can't see your family? You, 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 you have to give up everything? How long are you going to wait? How long?
1: It's by the mercy of God, this guy was still alive for 38 years. Verse 5. Meaning of invalid in the Greek means,
0: Ah, I hope I said that right. Which means the want of strength.
1: The scripture states that, in the want of strength, he was in this state for 38 years. So, his condition literally meant I want strength but then he stayed in the
0: same place and the scripture also states there used to be people there who were blind and paralyzed which means people got better but this man was still there he just watched people change but he himself didn't want to, be- wanted to become a disciple or change he watched people get baptized he watched people get right with God but didn't want to get right himself After 38 years, this man's way of life literally became normal. Verse 6, when Jesus saw him lying there and learned that he had been in this condition for a long time, he asked him, do you want to get well? How bad do you want it in other terms? Sir, the invalid replied, I have no one to help me into the pool. When the water is stirred, when I'm trying to get in, someone else goes in down ahead of me.
1: He says, I have no one. So didn't everyone who was there. He had equal opportunity to everyone else there. They also didn't have anyone. But how come they got well? No. How does that sound today? No one can relate to me. Wow. You don't know how bad I had it. Blame shifting.
0: Again, not taking personal responsibility and carrying your load for sin. What was the reason why he said he wasn't able to get, to get in? He didn't ask for help not asking for help is sin it's pride ask for help struggling financially ask for help struggling spiritually ask for help don't avoid discipling if you really want to get well you would have slept inside the pool question is how bad do you want to change how bad do you want it there's a saying a plan without action is not a plan it's a speech because the meaning of want in the Greek means to have in mind to take delight in when you've been told the same thing, to grow in a certain area, confidence, integrity, and, st- and stop being insecure, be secure in God's love, what you have in mind is what you want. So if, if being secure in God's love is not in your mind, it's not what you're going to get. If you want to be fruitful, it has to be in your mind. Dream to evangelize the world, it has to be in your mind. Want to baptize all
1: nations, it has to be in your mind. What's in your mind? Criticism? You'll get criticism bitterness, you'll get bitterness
0: yeah. negative thoughts, you'll get negative thoughts yeah. sin, you'll get sin the mind is a powerful thing negative thinking can take your life it is said that doctors refuse to do operation on you if you're not in positive thinking positive thinking can literally save your life you've got to fight the battle of your mind what it really sounded like you just wanted to sit and sin for longer yeah. to enjoy sin a little longer he didn't want it bad enough. If Jesus never came, literally, he would have never changed. 38 years is a long time to try. Literally, 38 years without Jesus, he still didn't try. It took Jesus in his life to change.
1: It means he's gave, he, he means he basically gave up. Verse 8, Then Jesus said to him, Get up! Pick up your mat and walk! You know, I have firm belief that Jesus rebuked him get up with an exclamation mark. An exclamation mark is only used to indicate a forceful
0: utterance or strong feeling. Jesus was ticked off at the lack of repentance. So when you refuse to repent, Jesus is ticked off at you. What mat are you sitting on? Moreover, what sin are you sitting in? The mat in Greek means a pallet, a camp bed. Do you know like those wooden pallets you see on the street where people put trash on? that's what he was sleeping on the mats were uncomfortable sitting in sin is uncomfortable go—this yeah. guy. the scripture
1: says he was laying on the mat which means he was laying in sin he was enjoying it probably sunbathing in sin but then when Jesus told him to
0: walk the meaning of walk means to make due of use of opportunities to live it's not enough just to stand up to your sin you have to walk with God he wasn't walking with God he was sitting with excuses. He told him to stand up, pick up your mat and walk. You've got to stand up to your excuses. Verse 9. At once, the man was cured. He picked up his mat and walked. The day on which this took place was the Sabbath. Meaning of cured in the Greek means to cause to grow. Of inward Christian growth. As soon as he picked up his excuses, his sin, he instantly grew. So maybe the reason why you're not growing is because you're still sitting in sin. Because you don't want it bad enough. And that's probably the reason why you're not growing. Scripture closes out with this, with the fact that this took place on the Sabbath. There we say Jesus had no days off. Imagine if God had a day off. Exactly, you can't. Because we wouldn't be possible if God took a day off. Verse 10 to 15, we close out here. And so the Jewish leaders said to the man who had been healed, It is the Sabbath the law forbids you to carry your mat. But he replied, The man who made me well said to me, Pick up your mat and walk. So they asked him, Who is the fellow who told you to pick up your mat and walk? The man who was healed had no idea who it was. For Jesus had slipped away into the crowd that was there. This scripture is very powerful because Jesus can still heal you. Dare we say you can still see the effects of Jesus and still not know who he is. Wow. He literally said, I don't know who who told me to pick up my mat. He literally saw Jesus. Jesus can still heal you, but it doesn't mean you know him. I saw an angel. Doesn't mean you know God. So I saw a, I saw a vision from angels, and, and so I, I got an experience. Went to heaven, went to hell, came back. One quote says this: When you want to succeed as bad as you want to breathe, then you'll be successful. Oh my gosh. How bad do you want to change? How bad do you want to be more than a conqueror? If you want to be more than a conqueror, then why are you still in the why are you still in the same place? You don't want to be a conqueror. You're a, you're just you're just complacent. You're a coward. The challenge is simple. Disciples, how bad do you want to get to heaven? How bad do you actually want to get to heaven? You know, hell's too long to be wrong. You can feel good now, but then burn for eternity. Or feel challenged now and feel good for eternity. Challenge is simple. Take no days off as a disciple. No days off as a Christian. Be fully devoted. Like what we spoke about last week. Remain in the vine. Recommit yourself as a disciple
1: more than conquerors. Carry your load. Take personal responsibility for your relationship with God. Take personal responsibility so then you can
0: demolish strongholds and take no days off. I love you and to God of the glory.